We're going to finish up our little mini-series from uh, 2 Timothy, thank you, on uh, uh, discipleship lessons from a father to his son. Uh, and, and I want to, again, encourage you to do something uh, uh, beyond the moment. I want you to, to take these two letters and read them and just put in your mindset that Paul the Apostle is coming to the close of his life and he's passing on to his son in the faith, Timothy, uh, uh, discipleship principles, leadership principles. He realizes that he's on his way out. His days are numbered. Uh, in fact, the last, we're going to read it here in just a moment. He's, he says, I fought a good fight. I've finished my race. And so uh, he's passing, thank you, he's passing important principles along uh, to his uh, son in the faith with the, with the knowledge that, hey, he's the one going to take the baton and run with it. Anyone here ever run uh, a relay race in high school? Man. The relay race, you know what? Uh, the, the most important thing about the relay race is, is not just how fast each individual runs. That's important. But how many of you know you could all run really fast if it's a, what, what do they call it, the 440 or the, the 400 where they, you know, they, the, there's four guys or whatever each run or whatever they do, I don't know. Uh, you could, they could all be world-class runners, but if you can't pass the baton, you're in trouble. And so, uh, and the secret is to pass the baton at the, at the highest maximum moment uh, rather than in the fade-off. And so, uh, uh, Paul is endeavoring to do that with Timothy. And so, with that in mind, uh, uh, let's just pray together and let's ask God to speak to us. Uh, and, and help us because tonight you're going to realize some things uh, and I hope you realize them even more so than ever uh, ever before uh, that uh, we're living in a very cri cri critical uh, historically significant time I believe as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ Father thank you today for the word of the Lord may it bring forth much fruit in our life in Jesus name everybody said amen well, let me just kind of, again, uh, you see our keynote verses, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. It's just, uh, it says, to Timothy, a beloved son. And that uh, he's passing the baton to his son in the faith. Uh, and now uh, he's winding down in chapter 3 and chapter 4 of 2 Timothy. Uh, most theologians believe the last letter he wrote before he died. Uh, and think about that. Think about this for a moment. Paul knows he's about to die. He knows his days are numbered. He's, 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 uh, he's on his way out of here, and he writes to one person. Not the churches, not the masses. He writes to one person, his son in the faith, who had such a huge responsibility. You know, uh, you ever heard this, uh, the phrase, oh, man, you got some big shoes to fill? You know, and, and we could say that about Timothy from the standpoint of Paul. Uh, but here's what I believe we need to all understand. We're not in the business of filling anybody's shoes. We're in the business of learning from others and walking in our own shoes that God gives us, the own, the, our own purpose and plan that God has for our life. And so, so yes, Timothy, in a sense, had some big shoes to fill, but we find that Paul is not uh, necessarily uh, uh, ministering to him in that way. He's, he's challenging him to be and, and to do all that God would have him, <coughs> pardon me, to be and all that God would have him to do. So with that in mind, let's look in chapter 3. I want to read, uh, gosh, it's hard not to just keep reading the whole thing. Because we're going to look at these two chapters uh, and just pull some, some discipleship principles from them, some leadership principles. Here you go. But, but know this. Now, here's the last. Gosh, uh, let's see. There's, uh, there's 17 verses in chapter 3 and 22 verses in chapter 4. We're, he's, he's winding down, okay? His ministry is winding down. He's writing to one young man named Timothy. But know this. In other words, listen, you better get this one under your belt. 
You better know this. And this is not a head knowledge kind of know. You better get this down in your gut, in your innermost being. You better know this, that in the last days, everybody say last days. In the last days, somebody say last days. In the last days, what kind of times? Perilous times will come. Now, pause and look up at me. In the last days, perilous times will come. From a prophetic standpoint, from a biblical standpoint, I've said this over and 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 over again, but let me do it one more time. When the church was born, okay, in fact, let me give you a, gosh, see, I get all, this is not necessarily a rabbit, but in Daniel, there is a prophetic, Daniel is a great seer into the future, and he saw a prophetic time clock. And I won't get into the time clock, but here the time clock clacked along, okay? And then it's as if God pushed a pause button. And it's called the age of the church and the age of grace, okay? For him to do his kingdom business, okay? And then it's pretty clear from a prophetic standpoint that there'll come a time when God will push the play button again, then we don't know when that is, and the last seven years of God's prophetic time clock will come to pass, and that's called the great what? Tribulation. Everybody say tribulation. And oh, everybody has conflicts, and you know, there's all kinds of theology about uh, if we're going to be here during the tribulation. There's the, the pre uh, uh, millennialists, they believe we're going to be raptured before the tribulation or at the beginning. There's the, the mid-trib folks who believe halfway through we're going to be raptured. And then there's the, those that don't believe in the rapture, uh, uh, that we're all going to go through the tribulation period and then Jesus is going to come back and get us. That's pre, mid, and post-trib. Uh, I'm, ne- I'm neither one of them. I'm a pan-millennialist. I just believe somehow it's all going to pan out in the end. That was supposed to be funny. I don't know if you, but I'm not getting into that point tonight. Here's what I want you to see. Uh, Peter stands up in Pentecost when the church was born, and he quotes Joel. And he says, in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Everybody say, in the last days. And then he says, this is that. In other words, what you see here, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is what Joel was talking about in the last days. So at least by the time the church was birthed, God began to uh, uh, minister to the world through the church in this undetermined amount of time called the what? Come on, help me. The The last days. So we're living in the last days. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, we're living in the last days. And we don't know how long they are. You know, Jesus could come today, he could come tomorrow. We don't know how long we have, so we must be busy about the Father's what? Business. So, here come, back to uh, 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 Paul's last words to Timothy. He said, but know this, that in the last days, in other words, uh, uh, hey, and how many of you know when he wrote this, hey, the church had been clacking along for a number of years. They were living in the last days as well. And we live, and, and if, and they believed and thought, that Jesus could come any time. They lived as though this could be the dawning of that grand and glorious day. Some people say, well, they've been saying that for ages. Could I tell you, we're closer to the return of Christ than any other generation in the history of humanity. <laughs> Amen? And, and, and so we need to understand that. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Could I tell you that we're living in perilous times? Perilous times, that word perilous, um, it, it means dangerous and stressful seasons. Just from, hey, just from my perspective, hey, listen, you know, I have my concealed handgun license. I carry a pistol from time to time. I don't always have it on me. Uh, and you know why I do? Uh, because I, a number of uh, a year or so ago, I just saw, man, 
It's getting dangerous out there. And the last thing I want to be is unprepared. God forbid if some wacko starts shooting at me or my family and I'm sitting there ducking and covering and have no defense. It, it, I've never felt that way before. Just from here in Beaumont, Texas, in the state of Texas, and now you see, you know, the Ebola issue and the, the terrorism slipping in and all kinds of things happen globally. Everybody say the last days. Everybody say perilous times. And so here's Paul's last words. Now listen carefully. This is important. His last words to his successor. He says, listen, I got to give you some things that will help you through these perilous times. There's perilous times. And then he begins to define them. Uh, And gosh, man, let me just read it to you. And you tell me if this doesn't read like modern day Sodom and Gomorrah. Here we go. In the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. How many of you know, woo-hoo, right here in good old Texas, we've we've seen a massive, blatant opposition to the truth. And, it, and hopefully, I believe it's backfiring. How many of you know when you push a little too strong in a certain direction, it might backfire on you? And, and churches and pastors and leaders all over America and around the world are responding to uh, the mayor of Houston's blatant trampling upon religious rights by asking and requiring and subpoena, subpoena, how do you, uh, giving a subpoena to pastors to get their sermon notes, their texts, and all these other things that apply to this lawsuit that they're in. And by the way, the, the pastors are not even mentioned in the lawsuit. She just goes out and tries to, to get, and she goes on a witch hunt trying to press down and squash the truth. Now, I'm not, hey, I love her just like I love everybody. But what I'm telling you today is we're living in the last days. And hopefully pastors, in fact, uh, Mike Huckabee suggested pastors from all over America and around the world send her their, their sermons and, their, uh, and a Bible. And I haven't done that yet, but it's happening. She, her office is being inundated with pastor sermons from all over the world. I'd love to just be a fly on the wall watching the mail lady try to sort through all of that. There's Bibles flooding her office. And, uh, and even uh, as we speak, there's uh, people rising up to, uh, to stand in solidarity against uh, uh, this evident effort to squelch the truth and govern the truth and, and, and trample on our, our constitutional rights for freedom of expression and freedom of religion. I'm telling you, this is, it, it's, could I just, I don't want you, don't take this like I'm, I'm a, it's like an, a, an infection that has been hiding beneath the surface and, and all you medical people know when it finally comes up, it gets what? Ugly. And I'm telling you, there is a last day's uh, uh, effort going on in secular minds to squelch the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, we're living in the last days. Tell your neighbor we're living in the last days. So, with that in mind, I'm going to give you what I believe, and, and there's so much more I could say. I'm going to give you ten difficult day disciplines for every disciple. Ten difficult days, uh, 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 disciplines. How many of you know disciples are followers, but it takes discipline uh, to be a disciple, right? How many of you know if you're going to be a, a follower of Jesus Christ, it's going to take discipline in your life? And so Paul comes along to Timothy and he says, we're living in difficult days. These are 
difficult days, in the last days, perilous times, dangerous times, stressful seasons. Ask, hey, ask that we, we help send some money across, uh, uh, across the border from Syria into Turkey into a, into a mission that's trying to, uh, uh, that is building safe houses for Christians who are being persecuted, fearful of their lives, fleeing from Syria, trying to find safe houses so they would not be martyred and killed for their witness for Christ. You, hey, ask those folks if it's not perilous time. I'm telling you, we live in perilous times. Whew. It, it, we really do. So, so Paul's, Paul comes, and, and in these last couple of chapters, he gives some important disciplines uh, that all of us need to embrace. And here, here we go. Let's do number one. I call it the discipline of spiritual import. Now, the word import here, any, anybody know when you import something, what do you do? You're bringing some stuff in. Bringing goods into a country from abroad, you're importing it. Well, here's what I see with Paul uh, and, and his efforts with, with Timothy throughout uh, uh, First and Second Timothy. He's, he's endeavoring to get him to, to realize the discipline of spiritual import into his life. Uh, if you go back to Second Timothy chapter 1, that's one of the first things he addresses. He says, Timothy, verse 6 and 7, uh, that I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of, the hand, uh, of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power, of love, and a sound mind. He's saying, Timothy, you've got to be disciplined in this thing called spiritual uh, 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 momentum and spiritual anointing in your life. And he said, stir it up. It means fan into flame. Listen, what's he saying? Keep your spiritual life burning bright. Don't let the wick go dim. Don't let the flame go out. Uh, uh, be disciplined with spiritual import into your life. It's like the downloading. Uh, you see, you know what I'm doing right now? Hopefully, into your spirit, hopefully there's a download coming into your heart. You're downloading the Word of God into your life. You're downloading spiritual truth into your life. And what Paul's telling Timothy, listen, Listen, you've got to have an avenue where God can download, where the Word of God can be downloaded into your heart uh, and, 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 uh, and empower you and equip you. Now, go, look in chap go back to cha uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let me, let me show you this because he, he talks about the last days and perilous times. But look in verse 10, but you have not, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me in Antioch and at Iconium and at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. And yes, all that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, but evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Catch verse 14. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing uh, whom... Pardon me, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may complete, be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. What's he saying? You've got to maintain a discipline of spiritual download in your life. If you've got that figured out and you understand that point, say, amen, hallelujah. It's the discipline of spiritual import. Knowing, hey, this truth has got to have an avenue to, to, to move into my heart. And we've got to stir up and plow up the fallow ground of our heart. Hunter, let me tell you, you got born again. You know how you got born again? James says uh, that our, our hearts were like, like seed. And we were born again by the a seed of the Word of God came into our heart. And it began to grow. The Word of God. You believe the Word of God. You accepted the Word of God. And now there's growth in your life. There's spiritual growth. And that has to continue. It's not just, how many of you know uh, uh, some of our first uh, nourishment when we're born out of our mother's womb are so important, but that doesn't get us grown, does it? Amen. The discipline of spiritual import. Now, let me do a play on words. Y'all want to do a little play on words? Here's number two. The second discipline is the import of spiritual discipline. Now, that, here's the play on words. Import has two meanings. 
The first one was we're importing things in. Import also means significance or importance, thus a priority. In other words, we've got to be disciplined in understanding the priority and the importance of spiritual disciplines in our life. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, look what he says. He says, be diligent, or King James says, study to present yourself. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. He's talking about continuing. He said, so it's the importance of spiritual discipline. You've got to be disciplined and understand this is important for me. I know I'm preaching to the choir because you're here tonight, right? But hey, in the morning, I won't be in your, in your living room sharing you part two or three or four of this message. So you've got to, you've got to have a, the discipline of spiritual import and then just, hey, embrace. This is important for me. I can't. I can't be a slacker. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be a spiritual slacker. Discipline number three. It's the discipline of the heart. When you look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2 through 8, you see all this terrible fleshly, selfish mindset of, of, of the world during the last days. Okay? Lovers of themselves. Uh, just on and on. I read it to you. Uh, they, they're headstrong. They're lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now, here's the question. What's the first sign of a disqualified or disapproved life? Well, that's what he says down verse 8 that he says, remember Janice and Jamboree's back with Moses? Uh, so do these, in other words, people in the last days will have corrupt mind, disapproved concerning the faith. Now, here's my, here's my understanding of that. Uh, uh, what's the first sign of being disqualified? Lovers of self and lovers of pleasure. Self-centeredness will do more to disqualify you from the race, if you will, as a leader, as a servant, as a disciple. In other words, our hearts have to be disciplined and in tune and in right standing with God. In fact, we can't have, what does one of the commandments say? You can have no other idols before me. Are you with me? And so it takes a discipline in our life to maintain a right-hearted, or really, as, as we, we studied here a while back about Jehoshaphat and his right heart towards God, it says he, he removed all the idols, and he removed, he, he only served God, Jehovah God. He, was, he had a singularity of heart, and, and his heart was right. And so, here's a good cross-reference, Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs or the issues of life. For from it spring the issues of life. So we've got to guard our hearts. I think one translation says, instead of keep your heart, guard your heart. Be disciplined. How many of you know, whatever you let in your heart will, will either be a good for you or bad for you. So your heart's so important. And I believe that's what he's saying here when he talks about the, the last days, how these, they've let their hearts become callous and uncaring and selfish and, 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 and narcissistic. Anybody know what a narcissist is? I'm learning a little bit more about it. I think all of us have a little bit of a narcissist in us. But, uh, but some people, a narcissist has given over to selfishness in a way that nobody else can explain. We can all see it, uh, you know, as bright as day, but they, they don't see it because all they think about is themselves. And so... Paul's defining that, and there's a great spirit of that in the last days. So, discipline of heart. And then number four, we see a discipline, uh, discipleship disciplines for enduring uh, the difficult days. It's discipline of avoidance. Look what he says in chapter 3, verse 5, the latter part. And from such people, turn away. It means to avoid. It doesn't mean to reject them from the standpoint of the gospel's sake. But what he's saying is, these people who have given themselves over to the undermining of the truth and have become self-centered to the core and who are, who are 
anti-God and anti-word of God. You got to be careful with those people. Don't let them invade your world. Turn away from them. Avoid them. Avoid their seductive influence. Because they'll provide you pleasure for a season. They're lovers of pleasure. Woo-hoo! Let's have some fun. It's okay. It's great. This is, but how many of you know it'll yield uh, uh, not the peaceable fruit of righteousness, but it will yield the undermining, uh, uh, destructive force that, that we were under the spell of before we gave our lives to Christ. So there's some things in our life that we've got to be... A, We've got to avoid, uh, uh, you know, we're friendly to everybody, but we need to fellowship with those of like heart and right mind, right? How many of you got people in your world that are ungodly and, and, and even cons- potentially anti-God? <clears throat> do you do this? That's what the religious people of Jesus' day did. Ooh, he's eating, he's fellowshipping with sinners. Shame on him. They were doing this. That was religion. Now, Christianity reaches out to the whole world. But listen, what did Jesus pray for us in John 17? He was about to leave. He's about to go to the cross. He's about to die. He's about to go to the tomb. He's going to be raised again. And then, and then ultimately going to ascend to the Father. He's praying in John 17. He said, Lord, they're in the world. They're in the world. But keep them from the world. You see, we're to, we are to be in the world, but not of the world. We are, as we learn, a light in Matthew 5. We're looking at the Sermon on the Mount for the next few weeks. And what did Jesus say? You're the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You're a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Listen, we're not letting the darkness invade us. We're, we're, we're hopefully allowing the, the light to invade the darkness. There's a difference, right? Okay. But it's the disciplines of avoidance, even from a personal standpoint of sin and in your life. There's things you got to avoid. If bluebell is your biggest temptation, stay out of the frozen food section. All right? Because if you go by, they'll have the latest flavor. Whoo! Probably something with pumpkin and spice and everything nice. And you'll go... I'm yielding. I'm, I'm, you know, hey, you got to avoid it. Discipline of avoidance. Number five, another difficult day discipline for disciples. It's the discipline of following. Oh, this is huge. Second Timothy three, verse 10. But you have carefully followed my doctrine. You've carefully followed my manner of life. You carefully followed my purpose, my faith, and my long-suffering, and my love, and my perseverance, and, and even my persecutions and afflictions. And all of them the Lord delivered me. Now, this is huge. A last day's difficult day discipline is you've got to keep following Christ. You got to keep following. In fact, not only Christ, but how many of you know uh, what Paul was saying? Hey, you followed me. Now he was, uh, and Paul would actually say this: "Follow me as I follow Christ." Paul wasn't endeavoring to get a crowd of people to follow him. He was getting a, getting people to follow Christ in him. And so the discipline of following is huge. And, you know, it comes a time, it, there comes a time in everybody's life, every Christian's life, when they think they got it figured out. And then they think they don't really need anybody to help them in their journey. Now, this is a part of life. And at that point, did you know one of the biggest, Ryan can probably answer this, one of the biggest fall away uh, age brackets is college and career age young, young people? Because they get, out of, they get out from under mom and daddy. They get out on their own and they think they got it all figured out until they have to wash their clothes. Or when they have to pay a bill or two that they forgot about. You understand what they think? Oh, I got it all figured out. And then they think, well, you know, I can do it on my own. And then and college and career, it's one of the biggest fall away age brackets there is. Because they get a thought in their head at, at, that they are mature and they don't need to follow. Follow Christ, 
follow faithful friends and leaders who influence our life and stay on track and don't get distracted and don't get off base. He said, you carefully followed my doctrine. Listen, let me just throw this out to you. Godly leadership and godly influence in your life is paramount to your ultimate success in life. The last thing you want to do is to thumb your nose at people in your life who are making an impact in your life. And to think, I don't need anybody. I can do it on my own. I don't need the church. I don't need, uh, I don't need this class. I, don't, I got it. I can do it. I, it warning, you know. Austin Space, I know you young people don't know that. Warning, warning, danger approaching. Maybe there's a, you can Google that and see. <laughs> That's probably there. Just Google Lost in Space and the robot. I don't know his name, but warning Will Robinson, danger approaching. That's all he did. All he just, man, some of us need that in our life. And I've been that to people. I've told people before, I see how they're going down the road. They're headstrong going the right, wrong direction. I said, if you do that, this is what's going to happen. You listen to me. Warning, war, don't go. Ah, uh. We need those people in our life. And let me just throw this out to you. God may be raising you up to be one of those people in other people's lives. I had a parent tell me, a staff member in a church, actually said this to me about their own daughter. Well, she's 18 now. She can do whatever she wants. I said, she's living in your house? Warning, warning, danger approaching. Hey, let me tell you something. My daughters are grown. My son is grown. And yes, they can do whatever they want. But you think dad's not going to get a jalapeno business? If they start going and playing the fool, absolutely. I've got a voice in their life. You may be a voice in someone's life. If you've got a friend straying off and doing something stupid, playing the fool, hey, you, you think, well, I don't want to offend them. Listen, my goodness, they may be going off the cliff as we speak. All right, are you with me? I got a little fired up there. <gasps> Calm down. It's the discipline of following. Okay. Well, I got ADD. Well, that means you got to follow twice as hard. You're going to have to listen. Did you know the president of JetBlue has ADD to the core? He's a gazillionaire. He just figured out how to work around it and make it work for him. Come on now. No, no, no. Hey, there's no excuses for not following Christ and following him and being smart in difficult days. Okay? All right. It's a discipline of following. Number six, another uh, difficult day discipline for all of us is the discipline of equipping. And this is certainly falls in line with the spiritual import. But let me just throw this out to you in verse uh, 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. You know, he said, but you continue in the things which you've learned and been assured of and knowing of whom you've learned them. Uh, and, And then he gets down to verse 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration from God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. How many of you know? Oh, and Rebecca's now a full-blown, full-fledged nurse, correct? Am I, am I wrong? I'm not wrong. She's, she's got a job. She's making honest money. Uh, she's growing up. And you know what? Let me just say to her, she hadn't bailed out on church. Thank you, Jesus. And you know one reason she had to bail? Her mama kept her in church all the days of her life. And she knows Pastor Sam will thump a knot on her head as well. But now she's a grown woman, and she's, she's becoming productive in life, and she's sitting right here. Did your mama call and make you come to church today? Please say no. Okay, good. She, all right. All right. She's just here. Amen. Uh, and, and she has, as a nurse, there's some equipment that she has to have. She has to have all, man, there's all kinds of equipment. You can't be effective in what you do without the proper equipment. It's the same way from a spiritual standpoint. To be a disciple, you've got to have the right equipment. You've got to get the Word of God going on in your life and let it reprove you, teach you, correct you, instruct you in righteousness, and equip you. And, and let me throw this out. Ephesians 4.11 says the what we call the five-fold ministry. Let's see if I can remember. There's the the pastor the teacher no there's the prophet the 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 
pastor, the teacher, the evangelist, the apostle, the fivefold ministry, their gifts to the church, leadership positions in the church. And it says, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Most people think the evangelist is here to evangelize the world. Did you know, according to New Testament, the evangelist, his primary job is to equip the saints to evangelize their world. And so they come to equip us. And so there's got to be a discipline of that. And I can remember, pardon me, Rebecca, I'll just use you. I remember these last few years, really this last six, when there was a couple of tests she had to, I go, where's Rebecca? She's, gosh, where's she at? She's at home studying for a test. If she doesn't pass this test, OMG, she's not going to make it. And they're going to throw her out with the dogs and all those things she has to hey it, it was a serious thing you gotta you gotta put your nose to the grindstone here you can't just stumble your way into destiny and future and and blessing and honor uh, it's there's a discipline to being properly equipped and prepared to accomplish anything in that right trance amen that's true all right so and the discipline of equipping and then number seven uh, the discipline of endurance Oh, endurance is a huge thing on any level. Uh, Trent, I'll ask you how, long have you, how long did it take you to go through, through college to get where you are? Huh? How many? Six years total? Okay. In any of those six years, did you ever go, I think I'm just going to quit? Many times, multiple times. <laughs> oh, but what, what did he do? Not, maybe his parents uh, cracked the whip or some internal thing kicked in and he said, I've got to endure the process. I can't quit. I've got to stay disciplined. I've got to endure. Now look in chapter 4. He says this, verse 1, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Now, let me just stop right there. He's getting pretty serious. He's, he's, he is becoming a, a, a nosy pepper right here. He's, he's going, listen, I charge you. You need to understand. I charge you therefore before God. I'm before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's going to judge the living and the dead. He's going to judge you for what you hear or, and what you do and what you say and how you respond to what I'm saying to you. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things. And catch this. Endure afflictions. Tell three people at least. That's going to make some of you have to look behind you in front of you. Tell three people we've got to learn to endure afflictions. Tell them. If that's one, you may need two more. You're going to turn around. Come on now. It's interaction time. There's an endurance that, that, that if... How many of you know Jesus lives on the inside of us? And let me just see the time here. Oh, I'm doing fine. Jesus lives on the inside of us. Let me just read what it says he did. Verse 12, chapter 12 of Hebrews. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance... The race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We've got to endure the process. You know, I've said this in a lot of different ways. I'll say it again. The bleached bones of the well intentions litter the highway towards the purpose of God. Why? Because many of them did not endure. Along the road to the purpose of God for their life, they quit, they gave up. And the bleached bones of the well-intentioned, but non-enduring, littered the highway and the pathway towards the purpose of God. It's true. It takes endurance. And then the discipline of purpose. Number eight, the discipline of purpose. What does he say in verse 5 of chapter 4? He says, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, and do the work of the evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Now... Uh, uh, 
I'm not what your I'm not your classic evangelist, but you know what? All of us need to have an evangelist on the inside of us. When we think of evangelists, we think of fiery preachers who, uh, you know, from our old school mindset. I think God is raising up a whole new kind of evangelist. In fact, let me just throw out this thought to you: In 2015, uh, I'm 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 pondering and praying uh, about an, an approach to our church family from the discipleship standpoint, how to awaken the evangelist on the inside of us and let, and let uh, some highly recommended evangelists come into our, our, our uh, house and stir us and help us and empower us and equip us to let the evangelist come alive in us. Because ultimately, that's the purpose of God for all of our lives, is to win more for heaven, less for hell. Amen. You need to understand that. And he says, do the work of an evangelist. How many of you serve somewhere in, in church? Come on. Hey, it's, it, it's work, right? It's, ser- it's work. It's, sometimes we serve in areas that aren't our primary grace, and sometimes we serve in areas that are our best fit for us. And it's work, it's effort, it, it takes work to, to take care of our kids here at the church, and that's great and that's good. But did you know the greater work is in all of us doesn't quit when we walk out the door or doesn't start when we walk in the door. It's every day when we get up and get out into the world we're involved with and we do the work of an evangelist. It's the discipline of our eternal purpose on planet Earth. I've said this, if, if God didn't have a plan for us, There'd be two preachers, one to get us saved and one to shoot us. Because we're, not, hey, we're no, good, no good here. We just send you on to glory. But that's not your purpose, just to get saved and go to glory. It's your purpose, our purpose, to fulfill the Great Commission. Go into all the world and make what? Disciples of all nations. How do you do that? By being an evangelist. What did Jesus say to the disciples? He said, if you'll follow me... I'll make you fishers of men. And he never said, if you'll follow me, I'll make you a minister in the children's church room. Now, in the children's church room, you might be able to fish for men, fish for kids, fish for children. Hey, if you follow me, I'll make you a deacon or an usher in the church. Hey, those are areas of service, but all of us have the purpose of fishing for men. That's what a disciple is. One who who follows Christ, fishes for men, and fellowships with the saints. Threefold cords, not easily broken. So, hey, it's the discipline of purpose. Do the work of evangelists. And then number nine, it's the discipline of relationships. Now, this is huge because this is the third part of, of our, our, our uh, we've been talking about discipleship and our three-part understanding. It's, it's a call to follow Jesus, a call to fish for men, and a call to fellowship with the saints, okay? And, and relationships are huge when it comes to difficult days. Now, let me do this quickly. Paul's coming to the close of his life, and he says in verse 9 of chapter 4, be diligent to come to me quickly. Now, stop right there. What do you think that means? Somebody just, hey, let's pop off here a minute. Be diligent to come to me quickly. What's going on? What's inside of Paul? Man, I need you, man. In fact, you'll see in a minute... Bring me my cloak. I left it with Carpus. He probably needed it, and he borrowed his coat, his cloak. But he goes on to say, Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica, Cretans, that's another guy for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's useful to me in ministry. Let me stop right there. Did you know in the early days of Paul's ministry, he and Barnabas got in a uh, 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 a conflict with one another about Mark's capacity to, to be a good helper in, in evangelizing and doing missions work around the world. They, they, they parted ways. Barnabas, the encourager, and Paul parted ways for a season over a conflict about whether Mark could, could, would be good and, and, a, and, a, and a helpful hand in, the, in, in, in missions work and these missionary journeys. 
Now, Paul's had a little seasoning. And look what he said. Oh, bring Mark. He's useful to me in ministry. You know what Paul has come to? The realization, oh, relationships are really important, especially when people start dropping around you like flies. Then he goes on to say, And Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come, and the books, and especially the parchments. And catch verse 14, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. Now, uh, Paul had a lot of harm in his life, so Alexander the coppersmith must have been one mean bad dude for Paul to call him out in his last words and say, he did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his work. He was hurting because of that. You also must be aware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. them. Then they said, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that the message might be preached fully through me, and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And you'd think he was done, but then he says, oh, Timothy, let's talk about relationships a little more. Hey, don't, hey, greet Prisca and Aquila. And the household of Onesephorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Trophimus I have left in Miletus sick. Do your utmost to come before winter. You, uh, you, I can't say his name. Eubulus greets you as well as Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brethren. What's he saying? Man, relationships are huge when it comes to difficult days. I saw something on TV Actually, it was a clip from something. I didn't see it on TV. It was live on TV uh, at, from the Gateway Conference that some friends of mine were in. You may or may not know this guy, a guy named Mark Driscoll, pretty well-known pastor. I think he's in Seattle. Is that right? Very successful pastor. He had some issues, nothing moral. I don't know the whole story, but uh, he, he, just, he was a little brassy, and things got out of hand, and... Uh, he had started an organization of churches, and the organization of churches finally asked him to step out of the organization. And just a week or so ago, he ultimately resigned from the, pastor, the senior pastor position of his very own church that he birthed that was what we would call a megachurch. And uh, a lot of people on the Internet are critiquing and critical. Uh, he was supposed to be a guest speaker at Robert Morris's conference this last weekend, this last week. And he chose not to do that. But he said, can I just come and sit and worship with you guys? And I saw Robert Morris get him and, and, and just, he didn't defend him. He, didn't, he said, you know what, everything you read on the Internet's not true. He made some mistakes, right. But listen, uh, what are we going to do, crucify him? He said, somebody's already crucified for him, so we don't need to crucify him. Someone's already took his place. And he loved him and, 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 and reached out to him and provided him a much necessary place of relationship. And I will tell you, Mark Driscoll, if he is wise, he will stick close to that man and all the others who have reached out to him and loved him through these difficult days. Hey, relationships are huge in difficult days. Amen? And then finally, the last discipline, uh, difficult day discipline that Paul wanted to pass on, I believe, to Timothy, his son in the faith, is the discipline of heavenly perspective. In other words, whoo, it's all going to end one day. And look what he said in verse 18. Uh, and, oh, there's a lot of, uh, we could look at, but Second uh, um, Timothy four seventeen and 18 the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me, that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me, catch this, for his heavenly kingdom. He knew where he was headed. 
To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Go back to chapter 4, verse 6. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. My departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not only to me, but all who have loved his appearing. Hey, he was heavenly minded. And he was... He had a heavenly perspective, and, it, and we got to stay disciplined. When, when the going gets tough, you know the one big thing that will help you through? Knowing, hey, it's only temporary. Tell somebody it's only temporary. It really is. I've seen people have to go through all kinds of heartaches and trouble. You know, if I had Jameson and Johnson all the Titus family here, I'd love them. If they were all right here, think about it. Their whole world, you know, Mary Titus... Trees that she planted for 30 years that are, were bearing fruit for those little orphan kids and the little school kids, all wiped out in one fell swoop. I would tell them, you know what? Listen, I, I, I feel you. I feel your pain. I grieve with you. But let me tell you, this is only temporary. Catch that. And ultimately, our lives are only temporary here on planet Earth. We'll spend eternity with Christ in heaven. Difficult day disciplines. Let me go through them all. The discipline of spiritual import. The, di- the import of spiritual discipline. The discipline of the heart. Keeping our heart with all diligence. The discipline of avoidance. There's some things I just don't mess with. Okay? And then the discipline of following. I'm staying on track. Following Christ, following leaders who God's placed in my life. The discipline of, of equipping. I'm going to keep, my, I'm going to keep uh, studying and growing and maturing and embracing the truth of God in my life. And it's the discipline of endurance. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to stay in discipline of my purpose to do the work of an evangelist. And I'm certainly going to be disciplined with my relationships. And I'm going to stay heavenly minded. Realizing that I'm on my way to heaven from Beaumont, Texas. And hey, it's only temporary. And everybody said, amen. And so ends our little mini-series on discipleship truths from a father to his son. Great insight from First and Second Timothy that all of us can take into our life. And let me just close this whole thing with this. Some of you are sons and daughters in the faith. Some of you are fathers and mothers. And hopefully all of us at some point in our life will become fathers and mothers to others from a spiritual standpoint and be an investor in them to be able to take truths like this to those that God has put in our life and say, let me tell you how to stand strong in the middle of difficult days. Amen. Let's stand together and pray. Father, we thank you for placing us here today in the middle of history, in the middle of the last days. We don't know how many days are left in the last days, but we know, Lord, you've placed us here to be busy about your business. And, Lord, we're not fearful. We choose not to be fearful. In fact, Lord, you you instructed Timothy through Paul to fear not. And to not be fearful. And just lean upon the power and the presence of God. We do that tonight in the middle of difficult days. And Lord, we trust you and we ask you to lead us and guide us. And help us, Lord, be an investor in other people's life. Lord, help us help others in the middle of their difficult days. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.